0: I put my phone on to silent. Wow, 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 Why wow, don't you wow. put your phone on silent Butterscotch Shenanigans. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 51 of Coffee with Butterscotch, <laughs> the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the art making man. And today is May 24th, 2016. You may notice that Adam is nowhere to be found. Yes, his throat imploded in on itself. And stopped working. It was Um, like a black hole of illness. We think he's dead, but we haven't heard from him in in weeks, so we don't know. Um, No news is good news, right? But at the very least, he lost his voice. Uh, Also, we have a warning, which is anything can happen on this show, uh, including profanity and lewdness. So if you are a child, then go away. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, so what's been happening this past week, Sam? Well, so besides the fact that Adam's throat basically imploded and may have taken some portion of the Texas, the greater Texas state with it uh, there's been yeah it's, it became it opened up a sinkhole yeah. which is a it's a common problem in Texas now because of all the throat collapses yeah when you get you get a really bad throat illness uh, it, you know it actually destabilizes the ground below your feet and after a short period of time it's very possible that if you get enough of these people put in one place which he had mentioned and we should have paid attention he mentioned that that his wife was having you know some sickness too Mm -hmm. we should have we should have got him out of there it's that fracking yeah it's all that fracking all that fracking plus throat illness you do not even know what's gonna happen down there in texas so uh, adam's gone but he's still with us here in spirit today you know he's i like to think he's watching over us (laughs) <laughs> from the internet which he is uh so yeah. uh other stuff that's been going on we've basically been aside from battling various degrees of illness uh we've been sucked into a sort of black hole of administration on a lot of fronts and i think this has put all of us in a bit of a i, I don't know a what, mood yeah a bit of a mood <laughs> we just want to do stuff but most of the stuff we're doing uh i guess it's not it's not stuff that's on our task list it's probably the easiest way to put it um it's stuff like let's argue about uh, the various positives and negatives of attending huge conferences. Let's talk about whether we should throw our hat in the ring for this. What about hiring this person? What about that? What about this? And we're so, trying to do is a little bit, you know, a little bit of wheeling and dealing, throwing around, slinging contracts around. Yeah, we are. We're doing, doing some, business. Yes, that's been very, very Spider-Man esque in his uh, usage of his contractual risk sphincters. Yeah. And they've been just, just slinging our place. Uh, we're trying to get a few deals to go through, none of which we can talk about, but sometime later we will be able to. So uh, that's that's only because I'll just I'll reveal this much because it is with the Secret Service. Yeah. Which is, I mean, everything they do is pretty secret. Also, they're trying so. to get us to just destabilize Venezuela. Um, but that's, yeah, Which we will be doing. That part's not under NDA for some reason. So Yeah. <laughs> It seemed like one of the most important points in the whole thing. You know, I feel uh, like they they got to a point where they realized that everybody knows what they're up to. so they just, they seem very cavalier about this whole. Wait, was that the Secret Service or was that the CIA? The CIA. CIA. Yeah. I think the Secret Service just gets shot on behalf of the president. Yeah, that's true. So we So. we won't be messing with them at all. They're cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, one of the things that we have managed to do that's not, you know, a bunch of well, I think uh, that businessy you've, that you've managed to do. But I managed probably, to do that's <laughs> not a bunch of businessy administrative <laughs> nonsense is trying to start building up the infrastructure in the code of Crashlands to allow for translations. Ooh, which everyone's been asking for. In fact, we get, I think we get one a day in some other language. Oh, yeah. French, Spanish, Portuguese, czech geese Yeah. You in, name it. Geese. geese. Pretty, we got one from much, a goose the other day. Yeah, about every tribe of geese wants some copy of Crashlands in there. But hot item. damn, we are never translating it into goose because geese, geese are, are evil. In geese it it. are, yeah. of um, my xenophobic phobia. It's fine. But the <laughs> the big problem with it is or the big sort of challenge is there's two. One is is Crashlands has a lot of text. It has like 70 something thousand words. Yeah. Um and it has story text that it pulls from the internet and there's a, a fonts issue because you know if you're trying to translate into Chinese or something uh you got to try to cut down the alphabet down to something like 3000 characters. So you got to figure out how to make that font work. Um, And then of course, European languages have all kinds of crazy accents going on and it's just a it's, it's just a train wreck. Yeah. So I think, well, I, I don't know if we even realized what the technical requirements were going to be for being able to do translation. Um, we thought we were going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll just give it to somebody and they'll figure it out. Um, definitely not. It's one of those things where it looked like a big project before we started working on it. And now it looks like a huge one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it is in the wings. The, the second challenge is going to be figuring out how to get the whole thing translated when most people do it uh basically on a word by word basis and be able to trust that the integrity of the text is maintained because of course uh you know maintaining something like jokes or puns obviously does not work across language which a lot of the game is and so ideally there's there's uh, translation services that are going to be so good they're able to do that but it's gonna be weird and hard. So we got this is the next kind of uh, another frontier for us, which is fun. And again, no no promises on this. It's something that we've been wanting to do. We've been getting a lot of requests from the community about it. Um, so the first step for us to even be able to think about translations is just this technical hurdle. So that's kind of what we've been, which we have committed to. Do. We're getting that done. We're gonna get that done, and then we have to actually do a shitload more stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but hey, something something interesting happened in game design this past week. Overwatch came out. Is that what you're talking about? about, No. No. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the concept of of having the option to do things in a game that are super, super hard to do, uh, but that are technically optional, but give you some kind of a benefit. So you mean the presence, the, the validity of the presence of optional achievements with optional rewards, basically? Uh, yeah. So in Crashlands, we have the Mega Gong, which we tied to fishing. It's a fish. That you that you fish up out of the waters, and uh, in order to catch the mega gong, you have to craft. Oh yeah, spoilers by the way, if you haven't played Crashlands yet. Uh, but you have to catch the three gong fish, one from each biome, and each of those gongs has something like a one in a thousand chance of coming out of a fishing hole. So you have to do that. You have to do you have to do a one in a thousand thing three, three times. times, and then <laughs> and then you take those and you merge them together into a lure and then once you are wielding that lure uh, as a trinket when you go fishing you have a chance to catch the megagong and uh if you want to do this you you know, like some people get it within their first 3 or 4 casts in the water because it's random right and some people fish for 16 20 hours before they before they get it but we keep getting a it's it's interesting because we put the megagong in there as an optional thing, right? It's specifically, just a really fun, crazy thing you could go do if you like playing the game, right? Yeah, um, but most people who learn about it view it as the, as the thing that they absolutely have to do. And we we you, if you go to the crash and separate it, for example, you'll see so many of the threads are about people who are fishing for the gong and who are looking for tips and who you know feel like they need it in order to consider the game finished because it's the highest level weapon in the game. Um, And kind of similarly along this line, uh, EVE Online, just today, they added a new system into their game called Hmm. Daily Opportunities. So one of the ways that your character progresses in EVE is through this thing called the skill queue. So it's basically like you just tell your character, you're like, I want to learn mining. So you go doink, you put mining in the queue, and then just over time, your character just learns mining. And this is time... All the time, like real Real time. time. Yeah, so even when you're logged out and stuff. So it's an interesting uh, limiting factor because of the fact that you have to pick a thing and kind of like learn that just that one thing at the expense of learning everything else, right? So so skill points are sort of – they're at a premium because they're so hard to get, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because they're time limited. So uh, in order to encourage people to log in on a more daily basis because of the fact that you can progress your character while not even playing, right – Um, CCP, the developers of EVE, they added a new system called Daily Opportunities, and this just happened today. And a daily opportunity is basically if you just go out in space and blow up any NPC spaceship, no matter how weak it is, uh, you will get 10,000 skill points Hmm. that day, which is akin to something like two to three hours of skill training. So you log in, it's a nice little, uh, little boost. It's a little boost. Yeah. So you log in, you take five minutes and you've boosted your, your skill queue by about three hours. And so if you sort of extrapolate that, if you do that every day for eight days, uh, you've gotten something like an additional an, an extra day of skill time. Right? So it's, it's not a huge boost. It's like a one eighth boost basically. Right? Um, but the Eve community is up in arms about this because, ha- well, I should say a portion, a vocal portion of the Eve community because they view it as a requirement because they feel like if they aren't going out into space and doing this thing every day, then they're at a competitive disadvantage. Hmm. Right. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about this, about this idea? Cause like world of Warcraft has their daily quests that people would often right. do. Right. This is, it's a pretty common tactic. Uh, in, in games, I think, I mean, so I guess the, the interesting thing about it is there's a lot of weird psychology wrapped up in this particular thing. And I think my guess would be if we, if we were to actually look at the pool of players who really give a crap in a negative way, it's going to be small, like I pretty much guarantee it would be small. Yeah. They're just guess. super loud. Yeah. They'd be very the loud. Right? Um, but there is, there is no less some really interesting psychology going on here because I mean think about what, what would be a real world corollary for something like this? Uh, some something that suddenly gets presented to you as a thing that you could do every day to take advantage of your life to go forward. So say, say for example, um, what if hypothetically your neighbor was like, hey, uh, if you just come sweep my front porch every morning, which takes about 10 minutes, uh, I'll give you like 10 bucks a day. Yeah, uh, if, ma- if maximizing your wealth is important to you. Right, then you'll go do that thing. But the interesting thing is, I guess, how do you view that as far as... Uh, maybe all of your neighbors are offering this opportunity, but of course you only get to do one a day. That'd be the equivalent, right? So there's other people can go sweep other people's doorsteps. (laughs) Um, Everybody can sweep a doorstep. So the question is, uh, would you view that as a thing that you had to do in order to, in order to be alive? Or would you view it as, as an opportunity as it's supposedly framed given this context? Yeah. And I think the interesting, I guess the interesting difference here is that games that have a competitive element to them tend to be viewed much more so on a like keeping up with the Joneses sort of basis, right? Mm -hmm. And I I think that's where this is coming from. Because if it was the case that, that I was like, well, I mean, that'd be 70 extra bucks a week. I could, with that money, I could... I could pay my freaking, like all my utilities forever with that by sweeping some guy's doorstep every day. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, but I'm thinking about just my own instance. But if i Okay, I'm going to throw a wrench in this though. Go, in this, go for it. In, this an- in this analogy. What if everybody could only have a maximum of say $500 period, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you think about it then? As in I could only sweep five or 50 doorsteps? No, as in the most money you could ever have is $500. Mm-hmm. So you get 10 bucks a day to sweep your doorstep, you know, so that gets you closer to your $500. But at a certain point, money's moot. Is what at, a cer- at a certain point, everybody has $500, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the way the skill system works in EVE. It's like once you reach a certain level, you stop getting better at a, at that thing, right? You cap out, right? Um, and I don't know, the way that I always looked at these things is, so in uh, in World of Warcraft, when I played, I uh, I just didn't do daily quests, I just looked at it and I was like, this part of the game doesn't exist for me because I don't give a shit. About right. <laughs> I don't care about the rewards and I'm not going to do it. Well, I think the interesting I thing, though, is I, my guess would be that the people who have a problem with a system like this are people who tend to lead toward the more competitive edge. Because the reality is, the reality is that if if your enemies every day, say you got, say you got your neighbor across the street, you know, Dave, who you just hate because... Just damn it. Dave is just the worst neighbor on the planet. Dave. For some reason, have a rivalry going on with Dave. Mm -hmm. Um, If you go out there one day just to sit out on your front, on your front step and enjoy some coffee or something, and you see Dave sweeping your neighbor's porch and then getting that money. (laughs) <laughs> Get that sweet porch money. Get that sweet porch money. Then what? Then what happens? Right? I think the the interesting thing here is I don't think that daily opportunities are necessarily bad in and of themselves. It's when they're placed into a uh, competitive environment that I think it's it's going to happen that people are going to view them as a necessity rather than an opportunity. And I think because there's a comparison element there, the interesting thing with Crashlands of course is that the the experience is completely single player. Um, You know, so much so that if you go and you pursue getting the mega gong, for example, you're Mm going to be doing that probably like it's a, it's a, that's a long thing to go do. But at the end of the day, uh, you, you've now accomplished the best weapon of the game, but that's very much for yourself you know. Yeah, I mean, there's no competition there. Yeah, you can't you can't even we don't have multiplayer capacity at all. So you can't like even pop your character into someone else's world just to just to stand there and sort of show them as a billboard that you have this cool thing. Mm-hmm. So it's very much for you. And I'm wondering if, if that's where some of the rub is is if it's like if it's a thing that is for you as a person versus a thing that is that is viewed as a competitive one. Because even though people complained about about how difficult the mega gong is to get, the interesting thing is what happens after they get it. So, like usually we'll get a, we'll get a subreddit post or forum post where someone's like, I can't believe this is me so long. Like, screw this. And then like, we'll see it a couple hours later. We'll respond and say, Hey, like, you know, it's just keep random. At it. So it'll go, if you want it, just keep at it. And then I think every single time we've done that, they've immediately responded and like, Oh yeah, I found it shortly after I complained about it. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Great game guys. Right. Yeah. That's well, they what feel happens. like they it was hard as shit to get, and so they feel like they really earned it. You know? right. I, I mean, think so, it's a thing to be proud of. Yeah, so. and and that's the thing. And now now they've entered into elite club, which is by the way, of the people who have Scotch ID, uh, we know that only about twenty five hundred people have actually gotten the mega gong uh, mm. of those ever logged in, and, and that's pretty cool. You know, there's there's that's like one percent. Yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of players playing Crashlands, and so the fact that you're in basically the one percent, you are the one percent uh, who have gotten the mega gong is pretty neat, and I think. I I guess it's like you. I think the thing that probably bothers people most about something like the mega gong versus something like the daily opportunities is just the randomness of it. Because you can work super hard on getting the mega gong, and then Dave across the street just he can just fish it right up. <laughs> just throws God his damn. line. He's like, "What? What's this?" Oh well. Yeah. So I think. I mean, I think they're two. They're two slightly different things. Um, daily opportunities to me in a competitive environment are generally going to skew a little bit negative because. Yeah, I mean to stay to stay competitive, you want to be taking advantage of the full suite of everything available. And I think granted there is a cap on things and that sort of that that sort of idea that you presented but I could easily see how people just generally are going to take that in a negative way, though it is crappy because it stops a whole another like realm of design for games being really fleshed out um, and figured out in a way that could get more people outside and more people playing in the environment as opposed to just like playing the waiting game, which is, yeah, well, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm definitely a fan of anything that gets, gets people to actually play the game. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's also, it's really great for new players. You know, they come in, they get, they actually get to accelerate and catch up to the people who are capped out. Right. Right. So, it's good all around, but yeah. What about, I mean, what about the... So rather than doing an opportunity that has a payout at the end, which is really the problem here, right? Yeah. It's not that you if you go shoot something that it's like, hooray, you shot something today. It's that you get paid for it. Um, what would you consider daily opportunities that fell more along the lines of something like uh, in like in uh, what Nuclear Throne, Spelunky, they have those daily runs where they freeze the seed that generates the procedure-generated world, and then everybody competes using that seed, right? Nobody... Yeah everybody views that as a as a daily opportunity in a very real sense which is like oh cool I get to play the game today which is the difference yeah. between I have to play the game today is if there's only a reward well this play. so this is a really interesting contrast because there was there was also uh, just in I think it was October there was a week-long event um in Eve where they had something actually they had a similar effect for players which was a skill point boost but the way they went about it was just randomly in space, these, these things called like a blood raider beacon or something would appear. And if you took some friends and went over there, Uh, You would blow up the NPC ships that were there and one of them had a chance of having this particular item that would make your skills train twice as fast for 24 hours. Hmm. And you could even sell those items and, you know, they went at a huge premium on the market and stuff. Um, But people were pumped as fuck about this. Like Hmm. nobody complained about it. But the end result is exactly the same, which is you have a very short time frame. You have to log in. You have to go out in space and blow up a ship, right? I think it's it's the Um, difference between doing a chore – and doing an going event. on an adventure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's and that's a hard line to strike because of course the there are people, you know, that develop the game. There are humans back there and they don't have infinite time to dream up an infinite number of cool <laughs> things to do. It's so you want like you it's yeah, it's a that's yeah, a but hard so, thing. so many people looked at this and they were like, Why is this not a thing that's always there? Because it's so cool, like it's so much fun to go you on. You wouldn't and appreciate it, and it if it was yep, always exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> so. All, All right, right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into some questions uh, for the rest of the podcast today. Mm-hmm. And again, these questions come from podcast at Bscotch.net. You can ask them anonymously or with your Bscotch ID and get a sweet perk uh, perk unlock for your Bscotch It's account. a cup of coffee. And uh, today we're going to talk, talk about a lot of stuff, actually. Uh, one of the most interesting ones that we got that I want to dive into right away and actually does have to do with perks. Which, frankly, in these systems of like an opportunity versus an event, it's a thing that we've built that we're trying to use to harness uh, some of that idea of giving players extra content that we have occasionally gotten people. You know, people have complained about feeling like they have to do it. Yep. (laughs) Um, Which is, it's always an interesting balance. Uh, But one of the questions comes from BytePen, who asks, what is the known perk that the least number of people have? And so, again, perks are just achievements that exist in any of our games, and then they cross into other games the, the rewards usually do. Or they just have a picture as a reward. Yep. So, uh, one of the least ones, I would say with the least number ones, but the one of the least ones in my favorite one by far is uh, perk number 36, which is to get to space as a potato. In Flop Rocket. Yeah. And most people don't actually even know this, but if you, in the options in Flop Rocket, you can actually adjust your thrust level down from your upgrade screen low down lower than the starting value yeah and if you put it all the way to the bottom your rocket actually turns into a potato man with two little potato hands that drag behind it (laughs) and it pilots about as terribly as you would imagine a potato would and the best part about this is that six people have actually gotten to space as a potato And you get a sweet potato avatar. Not yeah. a sweet potato avatar, but a, a potato a avatar. Potato. That, that is cool. that is sweet. Um, so that's pretty neat. Uh, I think that's a I'm, hidden perk too, right? It doesn't show it up on is. the list, yeah. and there's no there's no way to know that that perk even exists. And you have to you have to just by chance have turned your thrust down to zero for no reason to know that the potato mode is there. Right. So, so if you have a masochistic streak, go pick up flop rocket and try to get your potato to space. Join one of the extremely elusive exclusive clubs. Yeah, <laughs> and, and mechanically course. what makes that so hard is that uh the higher your thrust is the more fuel efficient your rocket is and with that with that super low potato thrust you are just starved for fuel all the time i believe the trick that someone used was to get an escape pod so use the boom boom, then use the escape pod, so that when their potato exploded, they were actually piloting a rocket. Yeah, but this, uh, the escape pod by itself is you know it's very fragile. Oh yeah, and it's pretty hard to pilot. So even then, it's it's an accomplishment. Yeah, I'm very curious as to how exactly these people did this, but <laughs> impressed know. nonetheless. Uh, one of the other very very few ones is actually uh, Pete's Reckoning, and that's for is that the third hard mode on Quadrupus? Pete's Reckoning is yeah, that's the final one. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically like, like uh, Diablo has its nightmare and hell modes. We have uh, in Quadrupus, there's nightmare and the Reckoning, which is the harder versions of the game. And Pete's Reckoning is, is the hell mode, and so it's the hardest one. And 66 people have beaten Pete's Reckoning. Um, and I think some one other uh, some other interesting stuff that we were talking about is that we can use some of these stats to see how good or bad our game systems are or our other systems. So as a funny example, uh, we have we have one of the one of the fewest gotten perks. Surprisingly, uh, or I guess towards the bottom of the barrel is actually the perk for having five plus friends in your Bscotch ID. And we've always we've joked about how like we have the friend system in there, but it doesn't really do anything yet that's of any value whatsoever. And then Adam pulled this number up today before we got started. We all just we all left. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, honestly, I look at it as a good thing, just in the sense that people are willing to add all these people as friends in Bscotch ID, even though there's no point to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think people, people probably test have out their the friends system. Well, they, they might just test out the system and then be like, oh, okay. Yeah. See oh, good. this didn't do anything. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think uh, as far as that being uh, the a follow-up question was is it is that the hardest perk? Uh, get Space as a potato? Probably. I would say yeah, honestly. Um, as far as pure time goes, like it's a combination of time and skill versus something like the Mega Gong, which like you can create fish farms and, and really do a lot of work to actually fish that up to make it easier on yourself. So, yeah, I think getting to space as a potato extremely impressive. Pro tip though, if you get if you get the perks that go to Flop Rocket from the other games, um it will probably help your potato piloting. Yeah, the towel fight one in particular because it adds teleporters in, which, yeah, which jump toe. you ahead like 50 meters or something like that. Yeah. It's good to get. Uh next question comes from Gafferman who asks, will Carol Mertz bring her sass to the podcasts as the hype and community manager? <laughs> it would only seem natural. Mm. We think so. I th- I think. Well, I mean, I definitely want to have Carol on at least sometimes, if not, you know, regularly. Yeah, we've been. Uh, uh, she is hysterical. Yeah, we in been a funny some, sense, not in like a deranged sense. We've been playing some Rocket League <laughs> in the last few nights, and good God, like Carol fits right in. It's just the funniest thing. We've seen just the amount of screaming, random noises, et cetera. It's just like a glove. You know? Yeah. Actually, our worry is that, uh, so we, we've uh, sort of taken to referring to Carol's title in the company as Catalyst, where she essentially amplifies the stuff that we do. And there actually is a worry that she's also going to amplify all of our profanity and sass <laughs> and vulgarity. And uh, uh, by a worry, you mean. It's definitely going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, just be be prepared for that. Our right, next question comes from Hawks Rock Two Hundred and Fifty, and this Which is an hawks? interesting one. Uh, probably red wing, red tailed falcons. Red tailed falcons. <laughs> Are falcons and hawks different things? I think so. Don't don't ask a birdologist, or they'll be super pissed. Oh man. Okay, so the question is: Were there any moments that you three questioned working together after all the expected rowdiness toward each other as kids? Mm, no, not really. <laughs> You never had a moment where you were like No, I mean the the only time that I got the only time that I got kind of worried it it just turned out is because you had cancer. Oh yeah, that old chestnut. Yeah. Just in the (laughs) sense in the sense that I I I knew that I was super pumped about making games, but I knew that I kind of pulled you into it a little bit. Yeah. Um, For sure. Just in the sense that I was doing this stuff and I was like, Hey, you want to do it? And you're like, sure, but you hadn't really thought about it until I kind of like tried to get you roped in. Um, So at the beginning, I always kind of had that worry that you weren't going to be as like all into it as I was. Yeah. And then my suspicions were confirmed when you started becoming very detached. But then my suspicions were unconfirmed when it was diagnosed as cancer. (laughs) Yeah, that cleared it up real quick. But Mm -hmm. I think the the time, the first six months were sort of touch and go on, on this particular front, I think. And Seth and I had plenty of, plenty of intense arguments about during the time because, and I think we've talked about this briefly on the podcast before, I'm not sure if people understand exactly uh, like how troublesome something like this could be, but it was the fact that Seth was very good at programming and also better at art than I was. But because we basically flipped a coin when we started the company as to who was going to do what, I had drawn the art card as opposed to the programming card. And I was actually at the time a much better programmer than I was an artist. Uh, and so for the first six months or so, Seth actually could draw better than me and program better than me. Which, <laughs> if you want to get put in a position where you like feel like maybe you're useless a little bit, I mean, not that you never did anything that was like that was you know telling me that that was the case, but it's all that sort of self doubt and stuff that creeps in. And it wasn't until I think halfway through Quadrupus where I made I made the depth charge, which is this big red bomb. and I yep. sent it over to Seth. And Seth looked at it and he was like, where'd you get this? Okay. <laughs> I was like, well, fuck, fuck you. What do you mean? Well, to be it? fair, it was, it was, I don't know what you decided to do with it, but it was just at a sudden dramatic quality improvement over like, yeah, like it was everything you had done. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we swore at each other back and forth and I was like, what do you mean? I've been doing art over here for six months. <laughs> this, is, this is not what you want. And you're like, it's great. I just didn't. Wow. Yeah. Didn't it was expected. good. That was the um, moment where yeah, you became then, a better artist than me, right Yeah, there. That, that's pretty much it. And then after that, yeah, I've been good. So I, I don't think it's ever been a question of uh, of working together. It's mainly just like we all of us committed to it, and then it was just can we figure out how to do it. That was really the question. Actually, well, it's it's a struggle of jumping into something without any actual capability of doing it, and then kind of dealing with. The psychological ramifications of that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just having to constantly be bumping up against your own limitations—it's very difficult. Yeah, it's a hard thing to deal with. Um, and I think this. So we've been we've been talking a bit about practice and uh, the idea of teaching yourself how to learn and motivation and stuff the past few podcasts. And I think there's an interesting point on that. So I, I'm continuing to read this Peak book. Uh, which is all about practice and and how to get better at stuff. And he has a very interesting point when he's talking about about this idea of the 10,000 hour rule, which we dug into quite a bit, um, and about how it's generally misunderstood for a wide variety of reasons. But his most interesting point about it was that people who do a lot of practice, so like violin students were the ones they studied in particular, ballerinas. Um, people who do a lot of practice don't enjoy the deliberate practice. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. In fact, you can tell if you're practicing well, if you really just like want to fucking quit doing it. (laughs) I think, I mean, from an exercise standpoint, it's very easy to tell, of course, from something like practicing animation or practicing your artwork, whatever else if you're trying so hard that you're on the edge of your abilities, it's basically like riding the edge of frustration, right? Yeah. For hours. And it's not an enjoyable thing to do. And literally nobody, nobody in the study of thousands of people they did was like, yeah, I love, I love, (laughs) I freaking love practicing. This is interesting. There was a, uh, Freakonomics Radio, they have a podcast and this entire past month has been self-improvement month. And so they've had people coming in talking about all this kinds of stuff, productivity and how to set goals and whatever. And I think it was two episodes ago that the episode was about grit Mm -hmm. and, you know, grit basically being this sort of determined drive to get to a goal regardless of what obstacles come up. And uh, one of the sort of funniest moments in this in this episode, and this, this was uh, they were interviewing this author who wrote this book called Grit, which I would definitely recommend checking out. Um, Angela Duckworth, I think. Yes. Yes, but right. the uh, one of the funny examples was they were talking about this uh, Olympic swimmer. And somebody made the comment to this swimmer who swims for like six hours, eight hours a day, um, has to eat eight thousand calories just to break even, you know. And then and just he, sleeps. And then just sleeps. Yeah, that's this is this, this guy's whole life. Um, and they said, "Wow, you must really love swimming to just put that much time into it." And his answer was something like, "Really? Like you really think that <laughs> that?" I love waking up at five o'clock in the morning and jumping in a frigid pool and staring at nothing but a black line on the bottom of the pool for six hours a day, with my lungs feeling like they're gonna explode <laughs> and every muscle in my body feeling like it's gonna just rip off. The reporter <laughs> was probably like, "Well, they I mean, put it like yeah. that," like- and they're like, <laughs> "Like he's like, no, I don't, I don't love." doing this every day. What I love is the whole thing. Like I love the competitive aspect of the sport. I love the team. I love pushing myself and trying to improve and working toward my goals, you know. Like the the moment to moment part of it just sucks. It yeah. just sucks ass. But <laughs> that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, the whole thing as a whole. Which yeah, I that I was a really interesting perspective. Well, I I there's also this so people talk about passion all the time, right? But they're like, "Oh, when you find what you're passionate about, oh man, you could like you don't, you need to know, you don't even worry about trying because like, you're just going to want to You're just going to so love that, it so hard. That is such a bunch of bullshit. I was <laughs> telling someone, so I was like, wow, he's been doing art for a long time. He must really, you know, similar thing. He must really like it. And I was like, no, honestly, up until about like halfway through Crashlands, in other words, after doing art for full time for two and a half years. Up until then, it always felt, every single day, like I was dragging a freaking stone chisel across (laughs) a tablet. Like, mentally, it was just exhausting. Yeah. And it it has been. It always is. I mean, I have this. uh, So we have the third installment of the Brahma lore story. The final installment is done. It's actually been done for about uh, two weeks. But I want to put together an actual composition for the thing. And I've never done composition before. And it also requires that I do some character art that I've never done before. It makes a ton of things that I've just never actually done before because I do all the art assets as little isolated one-by-one things. And that thing has taken me an ungodly amount of time. And that also is so frustrating to work on. <laughs> and it's incredible, <laughs> you know. And yeah, I no. want to do it, but it's like, huh? Yeah, but it's, it's not that like every time you click it to add a node in Inkscape, you're just like, oh yeah, that was so good. Yeah, no, no hell it's, no. It's more along the lines of, you know what you're working toward and you have kind of a, a vision of where you're going with this stuff, right? Yeah. And like, that's what matters. It's not about the pure bliss that you experience every moment that you're creating vectors, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And the truth is like the, in order for me to get better. And I recognized this uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And I we talked about on the podcast, like I, you have to be operating at the edge of your ability, which means that you're going to be uncomfortable and it's going to suck. And the stuff you make is going to suck. And that just literally, it's just what you have to do. And I think, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of romanticism about passion and about, like just, just forgetting that you're in the work and stuff. And granted, like that does happen once you're, so like, you know, once you have the skills and you're working on it, but the truth is, uh, that's a good way to produce a lot of work, but it's not necessarily a good way to improve on your work. On your oh yeah. Work, right. Well, that's why I exercise is So that's, this is why people don't like to exercise because if you're doing it to get into better shape then every time, yeah, every time you go, you should be going hard enough that it really, really sucks. Like it hurts yeah. physically, right? Uh, because that's the only way that you're improving. If you go work out and you come back and you haven't broken a sweat and you feel great, you haven't done anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that was useless. It was a waste of an hour. So yeah, it's good. It's good to decide between activities that you're doing for practice for self improvement. And then to measure them and try to push yourself like this on them and give yourself plenty of rest after the fact. And then activities that you can do as sort of like a flow state thing or just a thing for fun. So for me, like I used to do speed reading, you know, and I, and I actually practiced it for, for two months during one summer because I got tired of not being able to read books during the school year because um, you just didn't have enough time. So I practiced every single day for two months and then got my got like tripled my reading speed. And then now I just read like I don't read intensely so that I can go really fast. I just read to enjoy it, but I happen to read much faster on average. But to get sense. there, you had to it had to suck for a while. Yeah, and it was genuinely terrible. Though I will <laughs> say, seeing seeing those numbers go up, you know, as you as you go is, is super exciting. Like having yeah. that feedback. In. It's like the swimmer getting a you know an extra yep. two hundredths of a second off of their fifty freestyle time. Yeah, it's man. like, well, that sixteen hours of swimming this week was super worth it. Worth it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this one uh, goes in a totally different direction. This is from Bam HM 182. That's mm. Bam HM 182. Uh, what is your most interesting drunk story? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh! I have I have I one. Have one. one. <laughs> uh, you want to go first? Or you need to go first? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't drink until I was 21. I I saved myself for the law. Uh, <laughs> And it was mostly I just I had a lot of things uh, that I wanted to be doing, and the idea of you know getting a DUI or something, and or just like a uh, not a DUI but a what do you call it, public intoxication or something, yeah, or like un- arrested for underage drinking, uh, all that shit. It would just it would have just thrown a wrench into everything I wanted to accomplish. So I just didn't do it until it was legal. Um, and unfortunately, when I did do it, it was. <laughs> Uh, A bunch of my, a bunch of my friends who I had been gaming with for years, um, they wanted to, they wanted to be there when this happened. Mm. And so they organized an outing to Las Vegas. And so for my 21st birthday, we went to Las Vegas and I hadn't acquired – you know how like beer and wine and all that stuff is kind of an acquired taste, right? Like it's, it's genuinely shitty and you have to drink a lot of it before you start to it's enjoy it. It's just like coffee. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coffee, not going to lie, it sucks. But I enjoy it now because I've drank enough of it. Um, well, you know, as a, as a 21-year-old who had never drank before, I didn't have that, that tolerance. And so when I first got there, um, they were at this bar that had beer pong. And I played around and I was like, guys, this is fucking disgusting. Like how, and it's like 5% alcohol by volume, you know? I'm like, how's this even going to, I got to drink so much garbage before (laughs) anything happens. And they're like, well, we could do like Long Island iced tea. And so we played Long Island iced tea pong for like four hours because I could, you know, it tasted better. Mm -hmm. and which, of course, the relative alcohol difference between those two is what like eight times, it's pretty dramatic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Long Island iced tea is like four different kinds of booze of, of hard alcohol mixed together with like a splash of coke and some sweet and sour <laughs> mix. Um, and so, I, I remember most of what happened, but I do, uh, but the one thing I do remember is uh, we went to PF Chang's at like midnight because I was wanting some cake. And so we went to PF Chang's, and uh, the waitress was there. Uh, the waitress, she, she served the cake, and I was like, "Would you like some cake?" Uh, she's like, "Why?" I was like, "It's my birthday." And, and she's like, "Uh, sure, I'll have some cake." And so, uh, according to my friends, I slid over on in the booth, and I like patted the booth and had, <laughs> her, had her sit down with us. And then I took a slice of cake, and I, fe- I fed her the cake off my. <laughs> Uh so that ha- that ha- that was my 21st that birthday. happened that happened <laughs> uh, I, fe- I, f- I fed a waitress chocolate cake I off feel the like fork. It, like we do things when we're drunk that are just you know, ideally, they're just slightly outside the normal bounds of what you would do, right? They're a little more impulsive. In the worst case scenario, they're very impulsive and bad. But, uh, yeah. I was watching, I watched this TED talk yesterday by this woman who was talking about just like achieving stuff and and you know going for your dreams and whatever else. And she was talking about this, what she's called, what she calls the five second rule of impulses, which is that if you feel like doing something, but you wait <laughs> more than five seconds, <laughs> you won't do it, right? So as yeah, and, as yeah. a totally sober person, so for example, you're in a room and they're like, all right, let's get up and dance. Everybody dance. If you like, you kind of want to, but you're, you know, you're an adult, whatever like you think about it. And like, if you don't do it within a couple of seconds, you just won't do it. And so she talks about how you need to actually basically cut that out. Like stop doing that. Cause you're, you're screwing yourself over. So I like, there's some level of that, of course, which like being your drunk self can teach you some things about, you know, loosening up, like taking, like having fun, doing some, some, you know, some, Obeying some of those impulses in a way that lead to more adventures and more yeah. sort of opening. If you're like, right? I want to feed a stranger cake tonight. <laughs> that sounds that's good. Kinda, if you really thought about it, that's not a thing that you should do generally. Well, here's here's one that I did, which should not do. Um, so in <laughs> in college, I was a cheerleader. I was a male cheerleader. And nice. That but what basically what that meant was actually just you throw people. And honestly, so going back to the practice thing. One of the most fun activities I could ever recommend anybody to do. And... Is being a male cheerleader? Honestly. It is so fun. What about all the ladies out there? Is there an equivalent that they could do? Well, their... yeah, they could do the flips and stuff. We, just get to th- we don't have to throw them. That's they true. Do the cool so it's fun um, for everybody then. Not it's just literally the fun for everybody. Um, also, it has like the highest fatality rate of any sport. So <laughs> <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> like, so be careful. Be careful what you do. Uh, <laughs> Super but, fun, but you'll die. It is... Uh, it was an incredible it's like skill to practice because I, I didn't do it in, in high school or anything. And so I was getting uh, sort of getting integrated into the team. And I was one of the only – actually, I was the only guy on the team for a while. And then uh, another guy joined. And so it was very fun and like very laid back because it was a D3 school, whatever that means exactly. Some people know what that means. As far as sports go, I believe that means that sports don't matter that much to the school. I think so. Versus, versus a D1 school. Um, and so it was very laid back. And uh, one night I went out with a bunch of friends. And I ended up in the basement of some house party. And I saw my stunt partner there. And she weighs 90 pounds. Uh And it's like slightly, I think maybe five feet tall, maybe five feet tall on like a tall day. And uh, both of us are drunk. We salsa dance for a little bit. And then (laughs) then she's like, do you want to do a chair? And a chair is where you throw So you throw someone in the air and then you basically hold them like they're sitting. So your arm... Uh, As the so they sit on your hand, they sit on your like your hand, like your palm is a chair, and your your right arm is totally stretched completely upward, and their butt is on your hand, and then you're holding their left ankle, sort of like a driving stick. uh, (laughs) So it's like a prop up, and And so so you're both drunk, right? And I just mastered this. Like that's like the first move you learn how to do, and I just mastered it like the week before. And so both of us, she was my son, part of the whole time, so we're very excited. And I was like, okay, you know, both of us are just too far gone for this to be not be making any sense. Because if you looked at the ceiling, the ceiling oh, okay. was just not high. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so thank God it wasn't like made of concrete. It was one of those like paneled ceilings, or whatever. But I just threw her into the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she just she just went into the ceiling. And uh, I mean, wait. like sh- I think her shoulders, like her, she went shoulder like depth into the. So ceiling. neither so <laughs> neither of you just like looked up i mean, at, at we any dancing, point preparing for this. Yeah, we were, we were having too good of a time. We were just dancing that crazy, and then I threw her to the ceiling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's my most interesting one. I'm glad that we grew up before the age of smartphones with cameras on them because- all this shit would have been on YouTube. <laughs> All of yeah, you, would, you would live that down for the rest of your life, I think. That's a hard one. Yeah, I feel bad for these upcoming generations where they're, every fuck-up they make is going to end up on a fail video on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, it can't, cannot be forgotten. Yep. All right, next question comes from Finn underscore No Limit, who well. asks... What witchcraft, and this is, this is a good one and an interesting one about relationships. One oh, about. yeah. <laughs> what witchcraft did you cast on your spouses where they let you work seven days a week and game for hours a day, too? So, Seth, what was the nature of the spell? What uh, what black magic ingredients did you use? Yep, so uh, you're going to want to definitely go from the <laughs> Book of the Dead. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's got oh, some of the most take, potent incantations, for mm-hmm. sure. But you Which, do need to make blood sacrifices, so yeah, what, did, what did you use specifically for that? Uh, I went with the toad and newt route because I heard that reptilian slash amphibious blood uh, because of its straddling of the land and sea barrier. It is more potent. I it's mean, potent. It, you will get more out of it, but at the same time. So I just went with a stake. Um, oh, you just because okay. Because it, it turns out, uh, and most people don't realize this, blood sacrifices can actually be pre-sacrificed. And any means necessary. Um, mm. So if you just like slap a, a chicken breast or a steak or something down in a you know, in, into your demon summoning circle, you can pretty much just skate by uh, pretty easily. So <laughs> yeah, you don't you, need to murder anything right there on the spot. And what did you use for like the blessing water? You know, uh, mine was it was a, it was a rose base Water that mm-hmm. I got from uh, from the fountain in the park, and then I used the tears of a small child whose ice cream I knocked out to you know spice it up. Just yeah, I just I just used some Fanta and a spray bottle. Uh, it
1: <laughs> can it you imagine adds, it adds a demon nice coming dem- out <laughs>
0: and just spritzing it with Fanta? <laughs> I, I actually I can't imagine that. Uh, but to really answer the question, I think the phrasing implies a lot, which is. What did you basically? How did you get your spouses to let you do something? Mm-hmm. Um, the The implication there is that as a uh, as a partner in a relationship, you get to control the other person and not let them do things that they are passionate about. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, isn't a, that the implication there? Isn't that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it is. There's there's a lot of weird. Uh, there's a lot of weird relationship sort of junk floating around the general culture uh, that I think all of us. I mean, I, I used to view things like this too. I think um, up until I. It's 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 cultural. I mean, it's a cultural thing. Uh, but the reality is, you don't. Um, you know, none of us cast spells on our people. Uh, I think the primary tool by which you establish what your dreams are and the sort of person that you want to be and the sort of person you want to be around while you're pursuing those dreams is just verbal. You just, you got to sit down with your people and be like, hey, uh, you know, games is a thing that I'm going to pursue or I'm going to go start this this business. Uh, it's something I'm very interested in doing. The response should not be, okay, well, you can work on that nights and weekends. The response should be, tell me how I can help. And, yeah, because you're a fucking team. Yeah, and if, if it's the case that you have someone who starts putting... The putting those opposite things where they say okay well maybe you only do that these times because we have this stuff going on or I have this stuff going on. Um, No that's not that's just it's not a building up model to be with a person who does that. Yeah but I mean Um, but you have to also you have to put in the work um, to make it a real thing and so when we talk about the relationship or the I'm I'm talking about the job I'm talking about like to do the job as an example Um, Mm -hmm. so for us before we set off on our own we did we talked to our spouses but in in the context of, here's what our plan is. Here's how long we think it will take to get to where we need to be. Um, you know, here's what we know about the industry and how potentially successful this might be, et cetera. And we, we literally just like, it's like a PowerPoint presentation of of what the plan is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they, you know, and just, and, and so it was never a question of, is this okay with you? It was more of a question of how can we make this happen, Right. right. And uh, because we, I think, instinctively got together with spouses to begin with who aren't people who obstruct us. Right. Right. Like like if we if we express the desire to do something, they're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah, I think I think that, that really lends itself to the question of even uh, you know, putting in the work on the relationship to make us so that that is the response too, Right. I mean, um, if you're in a relationship, but you're being like a shitty person towards your partner, <laughs> when you go and you're like, hey, I'm going to go make games for the rest of my life. Uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to count on their response being like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's go, Steve. Like, <laughs> well, especially like, no, if you I'm approach done. it that way, right? If you're just like, I want to make games, I'm quitting my job. Uh, yeah. Like you have to have a conversation about it. Yeah. And I mean, be- an easy example of this uh, with with my partner was that uh, she wanted to start this nonprofit here in St. Louis. And we had talked about it quite a bit and she, I was totally comfortable with her. I have, my risk tolerance is extremely high. So (laughs) I was totally comfortable with her basically quitting her job immediately upon her having this idea and going full bore into it. Because of course I'd seen at that time, Crashlands hadn't come out. We hadn't technically been successful yet, but I'd seen the trajectory of what you can do when you're really fully into something and when you have a support team that's fully into it. Um, And after, after some time, she, she figured out basically what her thresholds were for being comfortable with, with leaving a steady job to do this this thing that wouldn't pay for a good deal of time. Um, And then once, once we hit those targets, then she was off to the races and she's, I mean, she's happy as I'll get out now. She's exhausted all the time because she's working so hard, but um, I, you know, I, I I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I was like, nah, like we need the money so I could what do I need? You know, we need the money so we can do what, I don't know what you only, exactly. you only what? need enough money to cover, you know, your, your, your basics with this, with right. a little bit of buffer for emergencies. If you're going beyond that, then, uh, I mean, I, I should, I should clarify this doesn't apply to somebody who's like, you know, middle to late age with a family of 10 children and, you know, it, like you, it's a little bit well, of a take, different you scenario. Wanna, yeah, you always want to cover all your bases, right? Yeah. Um, the but, idea is the same though. Yeah, it depends on where you are in your life. But of course, so the, dep- the the more commitments and you have and the more dependence you have, the more calculated you have to be about it. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. Right. So, so I, I remember I saw this one advice column It's the last piece on this where uh, some woman had written into this uh, guy relationship advice thing. And she said, hey, you know, my my partner's got this uh, this dream of being I don't remember what it was like a writer or something like that. But like his writing is still not very good. And he spends like all of his time on it. And I really just wish he would spend more time like with 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 me or the family or whatever else. And I, I really think he should just drop it. How do I how do I convince him to not do this? And the guy's response was, do not dare try to convince someone to give up on their dreams. (laughs) Talk to them about the problems that are coming about as as related to them pursuing their dreams and figure out how to work with those. But by God, like help them get there. It's like the it's like that Avril Lavigne song. You know, the uh, he was a skater boy. She said, see you later, boy. And Mm -hmm. then now he's rocking on his guitar. Etc. I'm not quite sure where that went, but I see <laughs> Why, the in, vague outline of a point. There. As in, you know, support, <laughs> you can support the person before they're successful, and that's like that's what a partnership is about, really, right? Yeah, it's seeing the seeing the potential in someone, helping guide that potential, and then believing in them and waiting until they're able to secure their dreams. So, so yeah, we didn't cast any witchcraft besides talking, besides them. the phantastake demon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Next question comes from Hawks Rock Two Hundred and Fifty, who asks if you could stick Juicebox in any game as the annoying friend on the main character side. What game would it be? Crashlands. Okay. Well, besides that, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dark Souls. I think. Yeah. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say. So I'm trying to pick a really serious one, like maybe This War of Mine. Yeah. Maybe The Walking Dead. Yeah, The Walking Dead. Yeah, that'd be good. To replace replace Clementine with Juicebox. <laughs> Juice box will remember that. <laughs> oh man, that game made me so sad. Keep, keep your hair short, juicebox. <laughs> <laughs> juicebox right. actually would be a much better compatriot in The Walking Dead because Juicebox cannot be bitten by a zombie. And so you would never fear for Juice Box's life. You know but what I mean? isn't like a computer virus technically like a zombie virus at all times? Technically, but I don't think they sort of mutate into one another. So it's <laughs> it's probably like a zombie biting a computer probably wouldn't, you know, put a Trojan in there or That's anything. True. All right. Alan Falcon is a great question. Uh from Heinlein's Time Enough for Love book, I assume. Uh it has some great quotes. Discuss this one. Never attempt to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and it annoys the pig. Mmm. What do you think, Seth? <laughs> is, there, is there something deeper in this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like the whole polish a turd situation, right? Never attempt to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and annoys the pig. Is is the idea here of don't try to force somebody to do something that they have no Aren't, interest in doing? Yes, basically. That's what it seems like. That's a great point. Is that the whole discussion? That's it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I've experienced that from time to time um, where where I have seen somebody express some interest in a particular thing. Like ga- game dev always comes to mind because I'm always trying to teach people stuff with game dev. Uh, and I'll spend a whole bunch of time working with them to show them how to do stuff. And then I'll come back a year later and they haven't done anything because yeah. it turns out they weren't actually that into it. And I just sort of projected my own enthusiasm into them and wasted everybody's time. I think and probably annoyed the pig. Yeah. Oh yeah. But this is an interesting thing though, right? Because the there's a weird problem with game dev and game design, which we talked about a little bit, which is that there aren't very many or any, frankly, established methods for really teaching someone really well how to be a good game designer or developer. Um, you could teach the tools, right? Yep. But as far as teaching like the overall process uh, like schools are just putting degree programs in. And like that is, of course, the beginning of, of the process of figuring out how to institutionalize the knowledge for something like this. It's not an old medium by any stretch of the imagination. So I feel like, we, I feel like there's, a, there's a definite problem with even figuring out how to teach the stuff. You know, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, you don't want to waste your time trying to teach a pig. But what if you're not even teaching the pig? What if you're just shouting at the pig because you don't even know how to sing? Well, what I think is even more interesting about it is games uh, in the way the way that people generally understand games is they are designed to do a particular thing. So it's kind of like engineering a bridge, right? Like that bridge has to allow traffic to go across it without collapsing. And it has to last a long time. And it needs to be made of these materials, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's engineering. Um, but game design degrees don't really follow that same trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I only say this because of the people who I've talked with who have taken game design courses. Um, they don't they don't necessarily design games better than other people, <laughs> right? 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 So there's clearly not a sort of de facto way that people understand how to make games and, and how to get them to do the things that you want them to do. It seems like it's a mystery to most game design programs still. So it might just be one of those things that's kind of hard to codify at the end of the day. It's good yeah. It takes some time. Yeah, I think another part of it too comes from because games are still pretty new, there's a lot of exploration going on and there's this general uh mantra that people like to throw around of like games can be anything. You know, well if that's really true, then Want, nothing. Then, yeah, it's also nothing because it's just everything. So how do you make a degree program that teaches you everything? I don't think it's doable. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, uh, next question comes from Kevin888, who asks, is wasting time real? And if so, what do you do that you would consider a waste of time? Uh, so there's, a, I guess, is there a difference between wasting time and spending time? Time is always being, it's always going away, right? It's always happening. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I I would say you're wasting time when you're doing something that you don't actually want to be doing or, or even, perhaps in retrospect, able to say was not the best use of your time. So you might be spending time now, but then later it turns out you were wasting it. Right. Hmm. So you know, I mean, I, I've been—I've had some—I've had some relationships that turned out to be a waste of time. At the end of the day, um, so yeah, there's there's stuff like that. Here's the, actually though. Here's an interesting perspective. Hmm. What's the what's the term? It's something like uh, an error only becomes a mistake when you refuse to correct it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So time is only wasted if after the fact. You don't pull anything from that experience. So I would actually argue, Sam, Mm. that you had relationships that may have been bad, but they were not a waste of time because you learned a shitload. This is true. Right. It's it's a very healthy way to look at it, Seth. I appreciate that. You cannot waste time (laughs) if you have the capacity for introspection. And learning from your mistakes and you you, exercise that. What if you, okay, so this is interesting. So, what if you just continually waste time? In other words, uh, you don't want to be focused long enough. You want to keep (laughs) the role of distractions going long enough that you never have to think about whether or not your time is being wasted or was wasted. So, is it the case that you could technically live in limbo? Because what you're suggesting is that essentially time is not neither wasted nor well used until until you reflect, you introspect. It. No, I think I think it is wasted. It is wasted until you introspect, not when you. It's right, not. It's right. not like that moment of introspection is the decision point as to whether or not the time was worth like, it. Well, right? oh god, I messed that <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah, because if it's, you if you do if you do sort of engage in a continual rolling uh, distraction cycle, then yeah, I mean you are wasting time because you haven't learned anything from the fact that you haven't done anything interesting. <laughs> so, but what do you do that you consider a waste of time or have done in the past? I guess what do I do? Yeah. Oh man, all kinds of shit. Uh, <laughs> read internet comments. That has never panned oh, out for me. Like, Stop scrolling on the YouTube. Oh, I, I don't, well, why I, is that? Well, no, I have the YouTube. Well, it's because as social beings we constantly look for validation so there's there's stuff that i do like uh i'll watch a, a movie or something i'm like oh that was really exciting i want to see what other people think about it and then i'll go online and like read the imdb page and you know look go to rotten tomatoes read the critics reviews and stuff um because as as social creatures we want to feel like we're part of a group right and mm-hmm. so once we formed an opinion we want to make sure that other people are in like on the on their side. Yeah. Yeah. That we have a tribe out there. Around Captain America Civil War or <laughs> whatever the fuck it is. Right. Yeah. So We always want to see what other people think, but the problem is most people are crazy weirdos on the internet um, in the way that they talk about stuff and they're very negative. And yeah, so I have my herp derper turned on on YouTube, but uh, there's all kinds of like there's comments on every news site, every blog, Everything. everything just encourages people to just throw their opinions out there. And because those opinions are available, I want to see them. Like hmm. I can't help but want to know what people think yeah. about the things that I have no, opinions. I do the same on. thing. Like I heard, uh, I didn't realize that Overwatch came out today, and then I heard that I was like, oh, I wonder what the reviews are saying about it. Why? I don't. I know it's good. I've heard it's good. I, it doesn't matter if I could read a review yeah. about it. And then when I read the review, I was like, oh, I wonder what these uh, commentators have to say. But I'm like, why? Why does this matter? <laughs> this is not going to do anything. Yeah. For and, me. and I mean, but it's it's a stand-in for you know the way things used to be, which was uh, like when we were growing up, for example. It's, let's say. Diablo two comes out. What do you do? You don't go, Oh, I'm going to go look at the, I'm going to look on the Diablo subreddit. I'm going to look for YouTube videos. None of those things existed, right? You would go to school and you talk to your friends or something and you'd be like, Oh, did you hear about this game? It's so awesome. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you have this group that has all commented on this game in some way and given it a general thumbs up and you now want to be part of that group. Right? So the, the I pro- hear about it. Yeah, the problem yeah. with internet comments is you're not part of that group. Like you agree with them and they're validating your opinions, but you're not actually getting any social uh, mm, it's ex- like acceptance. the surface level stuff, is what you're saying. It gives you it gives you the it gives you the surface level benefit, but without the actual without the actual meat. relationships. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, you know, and I think it's sort of a cycle that feeds in on itself because uh, instead of having a, a group of friends that's all interested in the same thing, it's much easier access wise to just dive into comment sections and get that validation for your opinions. I'm getting super depressed by this now because I feel like I need to start like a book club or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it is. It is I, the internet is a is a very superficial stand in for for social groups that used to exist hmm. around around, you know, subject matters of interest so yeah I don't know it's it's I've I've never gone through a comment section of anything and come out of that feeling like I should have done it this is interesting because I think in in considering this question of what 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 do I do actively that I would consider a waste of time uh I guess now I I just realized I was thinking about I was like okay times when I'm away from the computer if I separate my life into those two categories two broad buckets times away from my screens So real world time and then internet or I guess computer time. Uh I never feel like I'm wasting my time when I'm completely in the real world. Yeah, that's because you're dealing with real shit that matters. But no, I mean not even that. I'm saying like like I I was painting the deck the other day. I was staining the deck the other day and then I came in and I just I literally just sat on the chair and just like stared off into space for 20 minutes and it was amazing and I had a great time and I didn't get up from that and be like, "Oh man, I wasted so much time sitting in that chair." I was like, "I that felt great." Yeah, but you weren't you weren't just staring off into space; you were thinking, right? so right? I, But I guess, but that's what I'm trying to get at is like, which is not a waste of time. Like thinking yeah. about stuff is important. But so, but I guess <laughs> what I'm to get at. is like the the weird thing for me is I don't think, like I like I said, I would not classify any of my time outside of screen time as a waste of time. Uh, aside from like waiting in line at the DMV or something, but even then, like I wouldn't want to classify that as time because it's not my control or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but something like uh, like my habit that I'm currently kicking is browsing I'm Gur. Just looking at pictures on the internet, literally looking at pictures on the internet um, of cats. You click next things. and then you're like, hmm. Yeah, literally. Like <laughs> you did, I get ch- about a chuckle a minute, you know, and I could do that for, like I, I have done it at times for a 30 to 45 minute stretch of time in a day. Um, and then afterwards, I always feel empty and horrible on the inside. And I'm like, oh, no, Yeah, I did because it what's, well, what's interesting about it is that is 45 minutes that had you been just sitting in a chair staring off into space, you may have had an epiphany of some sort. Like you may mm. have thought of something interesting, but because you were actively not thinking, you get nothing from it. Mm. That's true. Mm. Mm. Deep stuff. Deep stuff today. All right. Uh, let's end with two super fast questions. First one from Tofos who asks, guys, tell us some more about this codename brunch game. Mm. No. You'll have to wait for that. It's all still right, a next, work in progress. From Nils0077, he says, Thanks for answering the last question. And when are you going to sell those completely epic Crashlands tees again? t It will t-shirts. be possible to ship them to Europe. Yeah, T-shirts. Uh, we will be doing that sometime later this year, hopefully. And ideally, we will be able to ship them all over the frickin' continent. Ideally. But we're not sure on that because we got to figure that out. Yeah, it's complicated. All right, so that'll be all for the questions and all for the Butterscotch Organicist podcast. Coffee with Butterscotch for today. Woo. Uh, the only announcement left on the docket is that we will be at Indie PopCon this year. Uh, and if you haven't checked it out, Google it, Indie PopCon. It's a fantastic convention in Indianapolis. we got a big booth there. We'll be hanging out. We do have some T-shirts there if you want to fly from Europe. Do we have the <laughs> Crashland shirts? We do, we do. Have some yeah, just adventures. just fly from Europe and come to indie popcon. Just just uh, just fly, just fly from Europe. And we also will be selling, uh, actually selling Crashland Steam codes there, and just kind of hanging out. So come, say hey, give us a high five. And other than that, we will see you on next week's episode. Bye bye.